He's a young singer from Memphis, Tennessee. Give him a warm hayride welcome to a Mr. Elvis Presley. Get a haircut, buttercup. In that moment, I watched that skinny boy transform into a superhero. Well, you may go to college, you may go to school, you may have a pink Cadillac, but don't you make nobody's fool now, baby. Come back, baby, home, you want to play house? What all that? The wiggle. The what? Them girls won't see you wiggle. Move, man. You've longed for it, or maybe even dreaded it, just a little. We talked about it way back in episode number two, and now it is here. Baz Luhrmann's Elvis is upon us, so this is the Elvis episode. Elvis Presley was the king of rock and roll, but can he conquer dubstep? Baz Luhrmann's Elvis is hitting multiplexes on June 24th to help us find out with all of Baz's trademark anachronisms. To prepare you, we've got the real Elvis as a surly carny singing his way to success in Roustabout from 1964. And for our second feature, we go from light musical entertainment to the dark underbelly of America in the world's greatest sinner, a wickedly subversive passion project from the man who drove Marlon Brando to stab him with a pencil, Timothy Carey. All that and a very special guest who you won't want to miss right here on Old Movies for Young Stoners. Thank you for joining us on the epic eighth episode of old movies for young stoners i am your co-host bob calhoun author of the murders that made us and joining me are Corey sklar of the hollywood punk rock graveyard tour felina franklin appearing in chippendale rescue rangers now streaming on disney plus and greg franklin of six point harness studios there's another interesting guest we have on the show now you know there are lots of elvis uh, elvis impersonators but here is the, the one and only Mexican Elvis impersonator. His name is Elvez. E-L-V-E-Z. Not only is he a Mexican impersonator of Elvis Presley, but claims that he is the only love child between Elvis and Charo. <laughs> Says this happened in 1960 and so on. Uh, of course, Elvis has very little to say no, about so this. Who, who can dispute this? And we haven't heard from Charo. <laughs> As a founding member of the Zeros, he helped formulate classic punk hits like Beat Your Heart Out, 
quickly shifted gears to the synth Latin art damage of Catholic discipline, as featured in The Decline of Western Civilization, Part 1. By the late 80s, though, he developed a flamboyant and nuanced new identity, Elvez, that mixed visionary tactics, fiery politics, Mexican-American Chicano pride, subversive pop culture appropriation, queer sensibilities, and a campy humor of Las Vegas-style proportions. He is able to effortlessly fuse being a rebel-rousing performance artist with being a swooning singer. His gusto, intelligence, and charm remain magnetic and unmatched, whether in his bands Bobby and the Pins, Trailer Park Casanovas, and The Little Richards, or as Mr. Bob, catch him on tour this July on the West Coast with yours truly. That's right, with me, the guy that does the theme song to this very podcast. We're in L.A. at Zebulon on the 7th of July. We are in San Diego at the Casbah on 8th of July. And on the 9th of July, we are in Joshua Tree at First World. How lucky are we to have Robert Lopez, everybody, on the Elvis episode? Welcome, Robert. How are you doing this morning? Hello. Good morning. Tell me your relationships with these Elvis movies. Did you grow up with them or did you not see them till later when you were studying uh, Elvis for Elvis? Like, wh- what's your deal with these Elvis movies? I grew up with Elvis in the 70s early. You would probably see them, some of the early ones on TV in black and white at home, maybe. Um, I never went into a theater and saw Elvis movies, but I would see them on TV. And then later I would see the ones I've missed on the beta or the VHS tapes that people had way back then. Well, um, I grew up with Elvis stuff, but I didn't hone in until 88 when I became Elvis, but it was always around there. It was in the peripherals and I was just sucking it up like a sponge to use later and subverse later in my later years. Well, there's 31 of these things. I can't believe how many Elvis movies there are. <laughs> are any of them good? It all depends what you think is good. There you go. <laughs> It, it became formulatic at a, after a while, but it's great to see him in his youth. King Creole is pretty good. It has some great, great cinematography, great songs and great oddity. Uh, Carolyn Jones, who was Morticia Adams, is in it. It's a good one. That one has some real good cinematography that makes him look really great. Do you think do you think that he had acting chops? Do you think he had what it takes to be a star? Because what, one thing that I find so weird is... Out of these 31 movies, they did become formulaic. No one ever came and like said, let's make a, a serious vehicle with Elvis, like a, a Scorsese or a Bob Rafelson maybe in the 70s or something. You know what I mean? It's well, he was, he was slotted to be the first, uh, well, the second, well, almost the third. The Barbara Streisand a Star is Born. And mm. Colonel Tom fought for the billing. He was supposed to be Elvis, although Barbara Streisand was producing it, everything. She was going to get top billing. And... Colonel Tom said, nope, my boy's not doing it unless he gets top billing for this movie. So he did have an inkling to be into more serious movies. Um, I think Elvis, I mean, 33 movies is that, that's a career, wouldn't you say? Good yeah. or bad acting. Yeah. But I think he was one of the first of, oh, well, we have a star. Let's put them in this, which became a thing later. You know, it's like, oh, they don't have the best acting talent. Let's do it. (laughs) And that became a norm nowadays for reality TV or hosting or anything like that. But he did have a charisma of presentation as via his stage. So he was ahead of the game. But uh, he, he had a career. So if it was good, it's debatable. Yeah, this is my first Elvis movie I, that I, I just wasn't flipping through and then like just passed through. And I really sat down and watched it. And he is so likable. 
he he, he yeah, is, no. he's like he, he you're drawn to him so much he is so beautiful and um even these songs in this one that we watched uh, roused about for this episode they're forgettable songs but they're like they're still hot the band's hot and he's singing his ass off and it's still good i don't remember any of them but they're really good songs you know and so let's do that again in hawaii let's do that again in las vegas let's do that again <laughs> in mexico and so it became that but he looked great, great locale, great women, great outfits now. I mean, I'm sure there were great outfits then. It's just like there's enough and enjoyable things to latch on to. Do you think, uh, I mean, Elvis, like, you know, when you were growing up, when I was growing up, Elvis is this, even after his death, he's this this uh, pillar or the centerpiece of American pop culture. Do you think that we are drifting away as a nation from Elvis? Is oh, Elvis oh, yeah. just further and further back? Yes, yes. No, I mean, he was the sacrificial lamb with the whole prescription drug kind of idea. That was before rehab. Just imagine if he went to rehab and he was before the fall and come back again. Here's your second chance. America wants you back on People magazine and all that stuff. Since he was a pillar was one of the ideas of Elvez was, okay. let's change that pillar. Who else can share that pillar? Let's share the faulty undergrounds of that pillar, et cetera, et cetera. But yes, he was a pillar, and now I've forgotten what you said again. <laughs> well, it's 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 funny. It's he's we're we're moving away from. A, I don't know if young people know who Elvis is, and this Baz Luhrmann, oh, yeah. this Baz Luhrmann thing. I think Baz is making this to like I'm going to teach people who Elvis is. Who as we as we get farther away from him, so it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what the reaction is. I don't see a lot of young people going to see this movie though. Yeah, uh, well, Baz Luhrmann does mashup things. I mean, he that's what I love about him is how much mashup. So this movie does have mixings of Kurt culture and songs and all that stuff. It mixes mm -hmm. it in and he shows references if you're smart enough to know what the references are. Um, I've worked with Elvis Presley Enterprises a few times, and they do have a plan. And this is like every 10 years, let's do a new remake of, or let's re-energize. And Baz Luhrmann is part of their let's do this for 2022 oh. rehash and it, it, things funny like they have just clamped down on elvis impersonators hey vegas elvis impersonators who wed people you can you have to stop using the images of elvis to be that and so every once in a while they try to get relevant again and say let's present elvis and so they they have a strategy of time which is smart because he will become less and less uh a public eye but, 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 character is Marilyn Monroe just an James Dean you, uh, it's something I know I saw this picture of him so it's like well, the whole glory isn't there but it's an icon image but isn't being married by the king relevant I mean that those people are being married by Elvis it's the most important moment of their lives <laughs> yes it's our link to Americans past culture through the present of Las Vegas I never thought I, of uh, of an estate like um, they have a product roadmap for somebody's uh, legacy. You know what I mean? It's it's yeah. interesting to think about that way. I mean, that's just free advertising, right? All those Elvis. Uh, you would think, yeah, you would think, but it's also the idea of we want to keep our image pure and clean of drugs. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so like the legacy drug drug test. All the Elvis impersonators. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure that they're all. There's a collection of their pee. <laughs> That's a fetish for sure. Yes. That costs extra. 
But yeah, it used to be when I first started Elvisizing in '88 at in Memphis at the Elvis Tribute Week, which is the great Dia de los Muertos of sorts of the anniversary of his death. There used to be all these homemade pop-up shops, the Elvis fan stuff, crocheted fly swatters, mm -hmm. homemade things, and then they were the most wonderful things made out of folk art love for Elvis. Mm -hmm. And slowly Elvis Presley Enterprise clamped down on them because no, you cannot do this. We're stopping now. We want to limit the images. But at one point it was just like a cacophony of good, terrible, and wonderful homemade stuff that they said, you know, we want to streamline what Elvis represent, what images use, which is how you create a legacy. But the homemade stuff is to me folk art it's like what elvez is it's a homemade version of what your tribute to something is blemishes and all did they ever come after you no i'm really lucky um priscilla even said oh yeah we like elvez because he leaves us alone because a lot of them get really clingy and say oh how are you going to help me with my next they go elvez does what he does <laughs> and he leaves us and i've done things with him i performed at uh Lisa Marie Jet, they had a 5K run and I, they asked me to perform. They opened the Elvis, Elvis restaurant in Memphis that was going to be like their four way into the Hard Rat Cafes and they asked me to perform there. So I've done a couple things. And one of the best things is someone who worked for them says, Half of us love you and half of us hate you. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Oh, that's the most perfect place to be. <laughs> I, I got excited for a second because I thought there was an Elvez restaurant. And <laughs> I really wanted there are three. There's three Elvez restaurants. There's one in Manhattan. That's amazing. One in Philadelphia and one in Fort Lauderdale. It's a, a licensing deal. Uh, uh, Star Productions has these great restaurants throughout the East Coast, and we got a licensing deal and amazing do they have like peanut butter and banana enchiladas no but they there do have are. an elvez peanut butter banana <laughs> dessert named after me they're not shrines <laughs> to me but they're named i perform there sometimes i've dj'd i've done events there so it's nice to have a amazing. restaurant very um robert i always wanted to ask you before i let you go was there ever a point where you're just like, fuck all this Elvis shit, I am done, I am Elvis out, I just, I just, I, I, I never want to see another movie or hear another song again? Or has it always been able to, I've been able to separate it? Um, well, during the first month, I all started Elvis because I worked at La Luz de Jesus and I curated a show all on Elvis. And so every day was, we'd had couple independent films on Elvis screening, Elvis music all day long. Real hardcore Elvis fans would hang out all day long. And 15 days into the 31 days of Elvis submersion, I go, I'm either going to hate Elvis at the end of this month or all the way. And here I am 32 or plus years later. So I guess I joined the cult. Yeah. And you can too. Just sign up to us. I'm in there. I'm in there, Colt, now. Uh, so, yeah, we're excited for the Baz Luhrmann movie, but we're even more excited because Robert is bringing his legendary annual Christmas show. It got canceled this Christmas, so he's bringing it to you in July, everybody, so don't miss the shows. Yeah. Um, 
We're in L.A. at Zebulon on the 7th of July. We are in San Diego at the Casbah on 8th of July. And on the 9th of July, we are in Joshua Tree at First World. We are so excited to see. Bob, you went to the only Christmas show that was uh, able to happen last year. So you are yeah, very lucky. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to the one in San Diego. Rosie and I will be in San Diego that week by coincidence. So we will be at the Casbah. That, my the Casbah's always great. That's my hometown. So I was yeah. uh, Awesome. God, Bob, you're following Elvez around like the goddamn Grateful Dead or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're gonna have to get you one of the sweaters. <laughs> Gabba one of us. Gabba Gabba Ray. Screw this Elvis shirt. I need an Elvis Colt sweater. Yes. Well, Robert, you are the best in the game, and we are so lucky to have you on this episode to talk a little bit about Elvis. We really appreciate it, and I'll see you uh, in July. See you. Enjoy your Elvis movies. Thank you. Goodbye. Love you, brother. Thank you so much. Chippendale's Rescue Rangers is so great, Felina, and you're so great in it. So I just watched oh. it. I loved it oh, so much. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm yeah. so glad. I still haven't seen it, so I need to. <laughs> I laughed and laughed. I was so high, and I laughed and laughed and laughed the whole time. Yeah, it looks like one that you to get high for. It was okay. really cool, too, because we got to um, like walk around and see all of the like weird booths in person, like the ugly Sonic booth. And oh, the cool. uh, like, like so, there were so many really cool ones that like really didn't even get pictured. I wish I could like fully remember what they were, but that's awesome. Yeah. That's the good thing about Disney productions is they they really put the detail into the things that no one ever gets to see. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> but it's a fun fun movie. Way better than Space Jam Two, which I know is damning with faint praise, but you know, as, as they're similar movies, and you know. Yeah, no, we we enjoyed watching it. I would watch it again if I if I get that stoned again. I will. <laughs> we should, you know what? We're we're missing an opportunity. What weed would you smoke with Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers? Which would probably make it our most popular episode because that's what people really need to know. Yes, that's oh what they need God. to know. Um, the weed I smoked when I was on set was no. <laughs> <laughs> Elvis, getting the chicks all worked up, but cutting loose from any dolly who can tie him down. Until he meets the one girl who can tie him up. You better leave, Charlie, please. Why? Because it was good? Because it isn't right for me. I'm not a one-night stand. Hiya, 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 the big show is about to begin. He's back, he's ready, and here he is now. It's Elvis Presley, freewheeling, free-swinging on the Carnival Midway, where there's girls galore, the main attraction for any two-fisted roustabout. Hey! What are you doing? What's the matter? Come on, go back. Oh, you want to be? No. Don't be funny. 
Elvis, shillin' and shoutin' as he starts roust aboutin', strummin' and hummin' till the crowds start comin' to the girl shows and the side shows, where there's fun and excitement in the air, and danger and daring on the ground. In our first feature, Elvis is a motorcycle ridin', karate choppin', rock and roll rebel who falls in with a traveling carnival. No woman or job can keep the king tied down, but only his singing can keep the carnival from being bought out by a sideshow conglomerate. Can Carney Queen, Miss Barbara Stanwyck, or Kathy, the more age-appropriate love interest played by Joan Freeman, convince Elvis to stop being a dick and save the show? Also featuring Richard Keel as the strongman, Terry Garr as a cooch dancer, and the immortal Billy Barty. From 1964, this is Roustabout. Now, now, guys, watching this again, you can't convince me that there wasn't something going on behind the scenes between Miss Barbara Stanwyck and Elvis Presley. I didn't get that for some reason, um, but I just... (laughs) It's funny to see Barbara Stanwyck in this movie because she's acting circles around everybody else in the movie. Her, Her acting ability looms so large in this movie compared to the guy who's playing her husband, the drunk and the daughter, and even Elvis himself. So this is my first Elvis movie I've ever seen. And it, I was really? so I was yeah, I was so into it uh, for a while. And, and then like he's just so like he's so likable. He has that thing that like The Rock has or Bruce Campbell has or something where he's just like really uh, shines on screen and is really a smart ass mm-hmm. and it's fun to watch. Um, and then when I realize he's a carny, I'm like, here we go. Carnival time. Woohoo. Uh, but there's that was a waste opportunity to show some really low down, dark carny shit. You know, we could have seen like chicken fights, uh, all sorts of things. So it was very sanitized. It was a very sanitized view of the of the carny life. I did like the cameos from the from the 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 the, the carnival workers, um, the the sword swallower, uh, uh-huh. the bearded lady. The bearded I like lady. Yeah, I like the freak stuff. But I'll tell you, maybe Felina, I'd like to hear what you think, because I was so excited mm-hmm. for this movie for a while. It's so beautiful. The Technicolor, Barbara Stanwyck, all the mm-hmm. all the great cameos. The music is hot, hot, hot. That band is cooking. But after a while, I like hit a wall with this shit and I got so bored and I'm like, oh, it's so long. I fucking hate Elvis. But uh, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I had a really fun time throughout most of it. The end did like drag on, especially watching it on Pluto with like the like stupidest ads in between. This one commercial kept coming on. It was like the same commercial, like multiple times. It was for bare paint. And it was like the old person who lives in your apartment because (laughs) you haven't painted your apartment. And it's like, no, (laughs) no, that's not how it works. Targeted advertising. They're selling selling paint to people watching um, Elvis movie, which is like watching paint dry. Zing. (laughs) Despite the paint commercials, you did have a good time with this, though. Oh, I had a whole I had a whole lot of fun with this. I will say the scariest part was when the clown showed up twice was awful that's (laughs) um but it was so good i mean i'm a theater kid i love musicals all of the musical numbers were good except for the weird racist egyptian one um (laughs) (laughs) but i had so much fun like vibing listening to him 
singing a song on his motorcycle, singing a song on a Ferris wheel, singing a song on uh in at the throwing balls area. He sings. He sings so he much sings. in this movie. Yeah, so much. Is, but I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. The music is cool, and his song, the songs are awesome. Even though, like, I don't remember any of them. I remember the one where he's like, <laughs> he's driving down the highway, and he's talking about rolling down the highway. And I remember the mm-hmm. car, the carnival one, because he sings it a couple times. And then, yeah, you just reminded yeah. me of the Egyptian one. But yeah, I yeah. know there was no recognizable Elvis songs, which was interesting. I, you know, but I guess he's thirty-one movies. Right. There's going to yeah. be so he, much music. He but was I doing... liked that still. Me too. Me too. Know. I liked. I loved the music. He, he, well, that's part of the reason I chose it is like these movies become more watchable the more songs there are in them. So this one has 11 songs, but the ones that have like eight or nine, just somehow like Blue Hawaii, which has some movies, some of his more memorable Elvis hits in it. But it just seems like the time between songs is way too long where this movie, as does Fun in Acapulco, which was the other choice where we are stuck in 60s Elvis. Now, we touched on it a little bit with Elvis with Robert, where the 50s Elvis movies are pretty good. Like, I wished that Jailhouse Rock or King Creole, which is Elvis noir, you know, it has Carolyn Jones in it. And it's it's very much like Purple Rain in a way, which Purple Rain is basically an Elvis movie, you know, um, where there where the there's these uh, mob bosses fighting over Elvis's singing like he's the commodity that they're fighting over. Um, and Walter Matthau is like the bad, the big bad in that movie. He's the, he's the like Don Corleone of New Orleans jazz clubs. That and... one sounds awesome. I, 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 I this, yeah. this, this did make me want to watch more Elvis movies like Godzilla, that Godzilla movie did. So this show has made me a Godzilla and an Elvis fan. Look at that. <laughs> yeah, I but... also kind of understand where like, the hype around him is come like before i i remember watching like one elvis movie when i was like 11 and being like this guy sucks like this guy's so boring um but watching this i was like elvis is cool elvis he's so cool (laughs) i agree he's so cool he's like suave and uh he's kind of cute which i don't like oh he's so beautiful (laughs) i think he's so i don't like that he's I don't like that he's so pretty. Yeah, when he when he sort of impishly steals the showering women's towels and plays keep away with a little person who joins in the fun. What a what a what a great guy. Oh my I, I think I think it would be I think I would have much more fun with this movie if if he wasn't such a dick. If he was more likable, it he is hard to watch you it. Could, <laughs> you could only be a dick, though, in the 50s. There's nothing to do. <laughs> yeah. That's, you have, your options are limited. I, I was looking up some of the songs in Roust About and noticed that uh, the problematic uh, Egyptian uh, song, Little Egypt, that uh, Felina brought up was actually written by Lieber and Stoller, who wrote so many uh, of the huge hits of the 20th century, including Hound Dog and things like that. I noticed one of the other ones was co-written by Dolores Fuller, who is famous for portraying Edward's girlfriend in Glen or Glenda. Well, Dolores Fuller, yeah, she was married to Edward, and she's played by Sarah Jessica Parker in the Tim Burton movie. But there, there's a reason for that. She wrote a few songs for Elvis in these movies, but Colonel Tom Parker had this rule where if you wrote a song for Elvis, they got half of the publishing. Mm. So after a while, 
you don't like, you know, this is maybe the last Lieber and Stoller song that Elvis did, which I, I actually like Little Egypt. I know it's problematic, but I and also in the movie, there's this terrible like kazoo like horn sound in it that isn't in yeah. the album version. Like the album version wow. rips. It's like a different mix. Um, but after a while, you know, because of this rule, you don't have the good songwriters wanting to write for Elvis anymore. So mm-hmm. you end up with Dolores Fuller and you end up with <laughs> and that that's a pro that becomes a problem for the movies. It's yeah, really like that's true. I read an interview with Dolly Parton where she was talking about how Elvis wanted one song. I can't remember what it was, but she ended up turning it down because she's like, and she had a hit with it herself and other mm-hmm. people had hits with it, but she was like, I don't, you know, I can't do this. This is my song. You don't, nobody else is asking right. 31 movies. I can't fucking believe it. 31. I, I might do an endurance testing and watch all 31. Like I'm thinking wow. about it <laughs> because there's got to be That's some nuts. kind of there's got to be some kind of gold in there somewhere. Bob, is there like a really nice presentation of these movies like in a box set or something? Or has that never been done? I can only think of like I have a VHS box set of some of these in the garage. <laughs> like I I don't know if they they've done those or if Paramount has done this. There's um one which is kind of a white whale. It's loving you. It's one of the fifties ones, and mm-hmm. it is you know it's it's disappeared. It's not on Pluto. It's not on Paramount Plus. It's not on uh, like it's on like a blue a dvd from 20 years ago and that's one's kind of a little noirish it's got lisbeth scott who if anybody here like greg and mm-hmm. me you know she turns up in a lot of film noirs it's got another noir guy and it's got um teddy bear in it it's got like a lot of 50s <laughs> hits, i like that you know? one yeah oh, i i need to know how the fuck i missed terry gar in this I'm a huge, as a child of the 80s, I am a Terry Gar super fan. I've loved every, all of her Letterman appearances, I would always make sure to tape. I, I, I absolutely adore her. Talk about missed opportunities. I imagine a parallel universe where she is the lead of Roustabout, knowing what a great actress she is. How awesome would that have been? Uh, well, who was she? Was she like one of the dancers at the carnival? Is that who she was? She's shaking her butt and she's like, like 18 or 19 or something. And, you know, you mostly see her from behind. That's why you probably missed her. The cameo, the cameos in this movie are so cool. I mean, Barbara Stanwyck is in a cameo, but she's awesome. Um, (laughs) I was surprised to see Billy Barty because he was alive when I was little and he looked like an old man. And then this is like way before I, and he still looked like it. Like it was, was, did Billy Billy Barty ever look young? He was 18, too, in this movie. <laughs> shaking his butt. <laughs> yeah, he's shaking. <laughs> Richard Keel is shaking his butt as well. Uh, they to- El- Doesn't Elvis toss Billy Barty to Richard Keel at the end of the movie? Isn't yes, that like- <laughs> I think he does. Yeah, Raquel Welch is apparently in this. Whoa. As one of the college girls as well, which... I also have to say one of my favorite songs in here was Poison Ivy League, which yeah. was such a great diss track. And the funniest thing about it was, was like he's the song is basically a roast of some of the frat boys in the audience. And the whole time he's getting the audience to laugh at them. But at the same time, he's making this like really deadly eye contact with them 
as he's singing these diss lyrics. It's extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, that's the opening scene in the movie. And it like it's a great yeah. scene. I was like, it, it set me up for something totally different than what this movie ended up being. You know what I mean? Totally. <laughs> and he beats him up with karate. Yeah. yeah. Beats him up with the karate in the beginning. It's like almost like a James Bond right. beginning where James Bond is always beginning like with some unfinished business that you're you're dropped in before we get to the rest of the whatever's going on in this movie. It's interesting that Elvis gets in a lot of fights in this movie and like he kind of uh, like it, it, the fights never like happen really like it's all they always kind of I guess the one with the Ivy Leaguers do but I wonder if that's a choice like we can't show Elvis fighting people or something like that you know he yeah. beat up a lot of people beat up the dad a couple of times oh yeah he beat up the dad <laughs> well, sure. the dad also did attempt to murder him so that's yeah. crazy yeah <laughs> Definitely could have killed him. That's going to have been a deadly accident. The motorcycle. Oh, my God. That was so scary. When I was watching it, I was like fully cringing. So, Felina, what kind of weed were you smoking to make you like so concerned about Elvis being run off the road? Well, I was smoking. I had at the time I was smoking an indica and then I smoked a different indica in the middle because this movie is long and uh, 90 minutes. It feels really <laughs> yeah, a hundred minutes. Pluto definitely adds to the runtime. Pluto, yeah. <laughs> Pluto I, made this movie feel like seven years. <laughs> I was smoking Grandi Guava. Um, mm. this is a pretty like mid THC level indica. It's nice. It it's it made me feel buzzy, but I wasn't like too stoned, which was nice. Um, and then I had double stuffed by old pal flower. Very good um, value. Old pal. This made me feel a lot higher than the grande guava. So I feel mm-hmm. like as it went on, I was, ju- I felt like I was slowly getting more and more stoned, uh, which I think added to the level. Helped. Yeah, definitely helped. Um, so I, th- but I feel like if I were to watch this over again, I would smoke a hybrid during the commercials, like a stizzy hybrid <laughs> during the, all of the Pluto commercial breaks. I smoked a, um, uh, lemon haze shatter in my device, which is this crazy Ooh. electric bong. It smokes the weed for you. Nice. Um, you know, and, uh, yeah, it's pretty much like punches you right in the noggin and makes you feel like you have rocks on your head the whole time, which is awesome for this film. Um, I, I, it, I, I wanted to be, and I didn't watch it on Pluto. I bit the bullet and spent two ninety nine <laughs> and rented it from Mr. Bezos. Um, but you know, it was, it's, it was worth the three bucks. I'm, 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 I'm old and, and I can't, I don't have time for paint commercials. Um, <laughs> So nice. that's the way to watch. That was the way to watch for me. I um, I this doing this podcast is exciting for me because I get to not only discover great cinema, but I get to try a bunch of new products at the dispensary. And Stizzy yeah. has Stizzy has new disposable pens. And I got Ooh. this one. It's Indica. It's called Blueberry. And it tastes so good. It's like Blueberry. And it's only like mm. 26 bucks. They're super cheap. But I, this thing is like a heavy Indica. And uh, I was so wow. into this movie. I was so into this movie. I love the colors. I love the music. 
And then as it kept going on, I kept getting higher. And then by the 10th time, he's going like, it's carnival time. It's a roustabout. We're roustabout and around the roustabout. <laughs> Thinking about yeah. popcorn and shit. I'm like, okay, man, I'm hitting a wall with this. So I would suggest something buzzier. So probably get get a, a, a sativa, one of these dizzy new disposables. I'll tell you what they have for in sativa. They have orange sunset, blue dream, strawberry cough, sour tangle. Uh, sour tangy, uh, premium jack, sour diesel. So try one of those. And by the way, I just want to ask the job description for being aroused about is apparently putting two <laughs> two benches on a on a Ferris wheel and then just wandering around the uh, fairgrounds, just flirting with the uh, fortune teller and doing fucking jack shit. So that's the job that I, when I grow up, I want to be aroused about. For sure. <laughs> Don't forget, he also sold two Cracker Jacks. <laughs> he does kind of need to go to the roustabout sexual harassment workshop. <laughs> <laughs> no, Carney Law is different. They don't have our, yeah. our human laws. <laughs> <laughs> okay, roustabout is now streaming for free with ads on Pluto. Lots of paint ads, I hear. And you could rent it from Prime or Google for $2.99. From Hollywood, it's the Steve Allen Show. From the Steve Allen Playhouse on High Street in the heart of Hollywood, we bring you 90 minutes of madness and melody with guest stars Mel Torme, Jenny Smith, songwriter Sammy Fane, log roller Diane Ellison, musical bicyclist Frank Zappa, Don Brenner and his orchestra, yours truly, Johnny Chick. Steve, we not only have the prettiest girls in the audience here at the Steve Allen Show, but also you'll have to admit some of the strangest musical instruments. And this gentleman plays perhaps the strangest of them all. He plays the bicycle, and his name is Frank Zappa. Thank you. You actually play a bicycle? Uh, yeah. What do you do ordinarily besides this? I'm a composer. Ah. Uh, might we be familiar with any of your songs as yet? Uh, well, you'll be you will be familiar with some of my songs as of next week. But I did the score for the world's greatest sinner. The. <laughs> and, and who might that be? Uh, Tommy Manville or who? Tell us about that. That's the name of the film. It's the world's worst movie, and I did the music for it. The world's greatest sinner. Yes, it's a Tim Carey production, Frenzy Productions. Frenzy Productions. <laughs> It's an, it's an independent company. Well, they all are these days, the way things are going. But um, they shot it in El Monte. So they... <laughs> Heartbreak Hotel was released in 1956 and propelled its previously dirt-poor singer, Elvis Presley, into a kind of superstardom the world had not yet seen. The power that this gyrating hillbilly swinging hips had on America's teenage girls sent Eisenhower voting squares into a panic and wasn't lost on Timothy Carey, an intense character actor who stole his few scenes in Stanley Kubrick's The Killing and Paths of Glory in just about any other film he was in, despite delivering all of his lines through tightly clenched teeth. 
1957, while Elvis was filmed from the waist up on TV variety shows, Carey began directing and producing his run-and-gun passion project, where he plays Clarence Hilliard, a bored insurance salesman who uses rock and roll to become a cult leader and declare himself a god. Five years later, the surreal yet documentary-like results were released as our next film, The World's Greatest Sinner. I love Timothy Carey I, in everything I've seen him in. And uh, I've always wanted to see this. I've always heard about it. And I first heard about it when I watched that Frank Zappa clip of him on the Steve Allen show mm. when he's a teenager. And he said, I just composed music for the worst movie ever made. I'm like, oh, I got to see that one. Um, <laughs> but I, I love Timothy Carey and The Killing. And uh, I love him. He does this great monologue in the Cassavetes movie, Minnie and Moskowitz. And it's so good. And he's such a weirdo. Mm. And I really recommend anyone to see that so i was so excited to watch this and uh yeah it starts off uh, with you hear paul freeze's voice tony the tiger the voice of the ghost host at haunted mansion and so that's exciting mars and beyond mars and beyond Go, right he's paul, yes, paul freeze is a regular the- um <laughs> and uh and it was really exciting and it it does start off with that like ed wood kind of feel like wow this is so homemade and but it also feels like John Cassavetes movies in a way like it's just you know mm-hmm. it's very uh I don't know I don't know it has that aesthetic that sensibility of just like uh, the, these the way these guys in LA that were just making movies at their house they they, they did it a, they made them feel a certain way that it, it other movies don't feel like so it was interesting it's a difficult one what did you think Felina <laughs> <laughs> so I I really liked the movie I, I hated him, but that just means that it was successful um, <laughs> because I absolutely despised this Morrissey ass looking guy. He well, he looks like he listens to Morrissey, at least. Um, but he's so ugly and he gets with so many women. You can't, I can't understand this word he's saying because he's always talking like this. The like audio this. is so bad in this movie. The it's, audio it's is insane. awful. <laughs> the whole production is heinous and he yeah. is heinous to look at. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. It's, 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 a- it's absolutely crazy. I feel like the story is awesome. The story is so cool, and I really loved like watching it, um, despite all of the production flaws and like or quirks, I should say, because it's I, I don't know. This movie's quirky and funny and stupid. It's so stupid. I was gonna say it's so <laughs> it's stupid. So like stupid. it's like like it's so heavy-handed and it's stupid messaging. Like he's literally standing on a pile of bullshit. Do you see it? And like he has a snake. The snake. It's a snake. Like him. Do you get it? And it's like yes, we get it. <laughs> the only thing that makes it stand out is this weird production and. His acting is so weird. I mean, it's like Nicolas Cage level mm-hmm. uh, crazy. Well, he he is like what Nicolas Cage has been ripping off for like right. most of his career. That really hit me on what as w- I was watching it for this show is that like his Timothy Carey was a powerhouse of an actor. And that that's what makes this movie a notch above something that was like an Ed Wood movie. We'll say, you know what I mean? I recommend watching this <laughs> yeah. movie with friends and maybe some movie nerds and like people who are into weird cult movies because this is 
this is a significant one. You know what's uh, one thing that strikes me, and this is like coming from a guy who who just wrote or published a true crime book, a San Francisco true crime book, is that it's this is being made in the fifties, and it, it finally gets finished or mostly finished in 1962 but it eerily foreshadows jim jones and charles manson like you know you know manson's got this rock and roll cult and that's still a few years away that whole thing so it's and donald trump um but there's so i mean this movie is so similar to the andy griffith one facing the crowd so like who are they satirizing both of the you know i mean this was such a thing that people were parodying like who are they who were they basing it on was it elvis were people saying well, Elvis is going to take over the world or something? Is that there that was a lot of worry? That's the end. The Andy Griffith one is about television because you've got Elia Kazan that's facing the crowd. You know, they're mm-hmm. they, these movie guys are worried about TV, but it's right. also like, yeah, you know, Andy Griffith is this hick in Arkansas who strums a guitar and he, he does these. Andy Griffith could sing and he could play guitar, but he's doing these terrible songs. <laughs> Tim Carey cannot sing or play guitar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he can, he can play one note. Very, very effectively. And singing, singing wise, he can beg very well. Uh-huh. <laughs> Please. Dude, his gyrations are just. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. Just I... fucking fantastic. I fucking love this movie. This is probably in my top at least 20 but maybe 10 movies like i just adore this movie it cracks me up i'm curious to know where it fits in the timeline like knowing it was made in the 50s and finished in the 60s like where it butts up against other movies like face in the crowd i don't know which one got started earlier but it is kind of like a a neat a neat thing that it is so prophetic in a weird way you know like you, there's there's definitely Shades of Trump. And even though Trump has his own, like, very iconic hair, it's an attempt to create a, a, a Elvis Presley pompadour. Like, you, I think people forget about the Elvis roots of that weird-ass hair, which is only like it is because, you know, he's so fucking bald. They have to twist it up in a gigantically weird way to make it look like that. But it's, to me, it's... It's a weird genius that so on some level knows that it's funny. God, there's that one scene where he's trying to get his inner circle. Timothy God Hilliard is trying to get his inner circle together. And he's saying, every man is a God, you know, every man is a God. And then one of his minions says like, yes, I like what you're saying. No one is above anybody else. And we should make a rule that says no one shall be allowed to become a dictator. What do you think? And he has just goes like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then there's an awkward edit right after it. For a long time. And it's so fucking funny. It almost is like going so far into like, like Tim and Eric style, like cringe comedy, like in a way, like it's anticipating even that, like, the, the 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 realness of that weird situation the awkwardness of the editing it's 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 it yeah it has Cassavetes and it has Ed Wood it has you know Scientology cults all all kinds of things that are that are uh, I mean 
has, I, I feel like Scientology has to be one of the things that is being referenced. Yeah, I, I was going right. to ask in, if, in if this Tim, Tim Carey had to know who L. Ron Hubbard was. He had to, the way he's playing this, well, this character. They mention other like cult leaders of the time. I forget which ones, but they were like, they come up in histories of Jonestown as being inspirations mm-hmm. of them. I, I remember that. And I'm sorry I didn't take a note. But yeah, the, these things are on Tim Carey's mind. Now, Face of the Crowd came out in 57. So Tim Carey is ripping off probably Face of the Crowd. Okay. But what he does is it is a more street level version of Face of the Crowd because. In, in Facing the Crowd, it, you know, uh, Andy Griffith gets whisked away to higher echelons fairly quickly, where Tim Carey is standing on the manure. And there's also that freaky riot <laughs> scene. And I'm like, did uh, they age that yeah. riot? Or is that a real riot that they just fucking filmed? It's crazy and looking. There's a lot of stock footage in this movie, like of the Democratic conventions and things that are that are just used as fake god hilliard fans (laughs) right uh which is always really funny but yeah i mean it's hard not to look at that movie in 2022 and not think of january 6th these movies like like the intruder this movie also has that kind of message about how the cult leader can't control the crowd once it's once it's whipped up you know like it's an incontrollable force and when you see uh timothy character on the ground writhing with no shirt on i can understand why you know i want to join in the join up in arms and like smash a bowling alley as well yeah and he's like if you look at the end credits like everybody is a family member that worked on this <laughs> that that end credit sequence is incredible it's so cool oh, so good yeah, it's so I cool. I love that. It makes the ending itself where he's Can you, you explain know, the I don't got, I don't I don't understand the ending. Can you walk me through okay. it? Okay. <laughs> so so what I think has happened in the ending and I you know, he spent this whole time being this strong god, you know, all this uh, he suffers one setback and just becomes this blubbering mess of a guy who's blubbering to his inner circle and then finally like like basically demanding a miracle from God, you know, back to believing in God to just throwing everything away and then stealing a um, uh, communion wafer, asking for God to make it bleed and it doesn't bleed. So he, he runs off and steals a, 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 you know, like a cross or something. And then when he's coming back home, he's following an apparent trail of maple syrup or some kind of slime that he follows all the way upstairs. He opens the door and there's a flat in a flash of holy light. He is defeated and it just ends so (laughs) abruptly. There is no denouement. There is nothing. It just it when God comes for you, that's that. Okay, and then like, okay, the sunshine was like, that's God's power. Oh, okay, cool, mm-hmm. that's cool. I like it. Yeah, I'm gonna watch yeah. this and rewatch this movie. Now you convinced me because I'm like, I don't, I don't need to sit through this again. But now I want to rewatch it through the lens of like co- a comedy, almost. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's his, hilarious. 
if they show it anywhere like at LACMA or or uh-huh. New Beverly or the Roxy in San Francisco, it will probably be his son holding the film cans under his arm who brings it in because that's what he Romeo when they show this Carey. movie, yeah, Romeo Carey is the one who who <laughs> will bring it there. It's still that much of a do it yourself out of the trunk of a car kind of kind of yeah. enterprise for for the remaining carries. That's great. That's so awesome. I mean, just the, like you said, just that it exists and it's made by a guy who loves movies so much that he used his mo- his money that he made from being in real movies to make this his own movie, which was the realist very, movie, the realist movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's such a, it was such a difficult feat to do back then, you know, yeah. and, and it's it's insane. So um, I admire that so much. It's really cool to see this uh, existing. My dad, okay, my dad, we Greg, we watched this together, and this, this is important. Always let us know that. That's an important key to this whole puzzle. We watched yeah. this together, and uh, this morning he called me and was like, would you rather go on a date with Elvis <laughs> or God Hilliard? And I'm like, is that even a choice? Would you rather date the King of Rock or an incel? <laughs> i was gonna say would you rather be in the presence of a, of an actor who portrayed having sex with 14 year olds or an actual man who did have sex with 14 year olds oh okay well now you put it that way <laughs> now that being said i'm sure timothy carey is like certified maybe more certifiably insane than Elvis was, but maybe, maybe in a less toxic manner. I don't know. I really wanted to see Eddie Muller's um, uh, intro to the killers that I unfortunately missed because apparently talks a lot in the outro about Tim Carey and what a maniac he is. Yeah. He did like on one eye on the set of one eye jacks. He not only drove Marlon Brando to stab him with a pencil, but also Carl Malden kicked him. You you can kind of see Brando is like as crazy as Tim Carey in a way. He just is more controlled. So that's not as shocking. But like Carl Malden just kicking him hard with cowboy boots on. And Richard Widmark once beat him up on set. Like Widmark just wigged out at him and beat you know, like he would like he is definitely a forerunner of Andy Kaufman and he's just like driving people nuts. You hear about <laughs> like you can picture like John Wayne hauling off and punching him but he's driving sure. these people you don't usually think of as like you know like jack palance is this kind of loose cannon kind of guy who you know them getting in a fight isn't as weird but he's driving these kind of actors that we kind of see as respectable oscar bait type guys all of a sudden professionals going, at least yeah yeah just going <laughs> fuck this guy i'm gonna beat the shit out of him and even Why god at the end was like shut the fuck up <laughs> <laughs> It's it's kind of a virtuoso performance though. Like I I Tim Carey oh seems God, yeah. seems like it's like being in the room with Coltrane or something. Like we have this movie to watch it, but like I would love to see <laughs> I'd love to see him in a play or something in front of me, you know? Like he's it's just oh so God. so powerful of an actor, and that's very rare. Oh, uh, I can't imagine like um what audiences thought of Tim fucking Carey back then. No one got to see this movie back then. Is that right? I, I how many prints are there? It's just like really being driven to a drive-in and like here you go. Yeah, I, yeah. It's not really ever. But it, it had a rediscovery, and Scorsese I think was 
kind of uh, champion of the film. But he this calls, was all much later. He calls it like one of the best rock and roll movies ever. It's in his like top three of rock. I don't know what the other two are. Maybe Hard Day's it, Night, maybe Jailhouse Rock or something. Or It's interesting because of the Frank Zappa connection too. I mean, the Frank Zappa mm-hmm. music in this movie is so good. And it sounds like Frank Zappa. It's crazy. And it's very, you know, it's it sounds like later Frank Zappa. It's the same instrumentation. It's the same. And just it's really and it works well in this movie. But that's surprising that like mm-hmm. there wasn't like, you know, the Zappa fans are so fanatical that they didn't like pressure people to put this out or the soundtrack out or something like that. You know, yeah. One thing about Timothy Carey is like we could talk about the movies he's in, like The Killing and One Eyed Jacks, and you know, but he's in a lot of TV, so he will show up mm-hmm. in an episode of Chips, which makes that the most surreal episode of Chips. Wow. And if you can find it, like if it's streaming, it's probably in the Peacock Walled Garden, but like the Columbo with Shatner also yeah. has Timothy Carey. Oh. And you never see, like, you could tell Peter Falk is about to lose his mind in the scene with, like, I, <laughs> I think there might be a scene with both Shatner and Timothy Carey in it. And you can see that that Peter Falk is trying to keep everybody on focus and, like, his <laughs> eyes are shiftier. Like, watch it with that in mind, like, him trying yeah. to control those two. And that's like the ham level is through the roof already with Shatner in the room, but then you put Timothy Carey in there. Well, they were homies. Peter- Tim Carey and Peter Falk and Cassavetes and Ben Gazzara, they're all uh-huh. super drinking buddies. So that would be a fun crew to hang yeah. out with, you know, and act with. Then the, the, the production values too, like like you get that Cassavetes thing with like weird jump cuts and weird editing. And that half of the movie seems to be just taking place in a black void. It has that thing that Faces has where it's like feels really yeah. jazzy. It has a jazzy rhythm to it. And it's like the cuts and like yeah. the, bi- the, 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 the close-ups of people's faces in black and white is like very reminiscent of, of Faces, which is, you know, considered super high art when this is considered. Right, like exactly. <laughs> it's the same thing. So, it's the same shit. <laughs> so what kind of jazz cigarettes did you smoke with this? I have no doubt in my mind that Timothy Carey was smoking jazz cigarettes during the production of this or with the writing of this. I think he was probably hanging out in L.A. He had the cool jazz, you know, pals and they were smoking weed. So I was also smoking a sativa because that's all you could get back then. I was smoking. Um, right. The classic sativa, green crack. Green crack is known as green crush, mango crack, potent sativa, marijuana. It has energizing effects. And this is a fuzzy, buzzy, crazy, high, weird energy movie. So I think uh, it's good to be uh, energized while you're smoking. So I smoked green crack and I liked it. I was appreciating World's Greatest Sinner while I was also appreciating blueberry muffins, mm. a, um, a shatter uh, sativa. It was from the uh, Lime Company, Lime Cannabis Company, and uh, I thought it was totally fantastic. It was a great rocks on your head sativa that uh, gets you in kind of a hyped up mood. And just hearing those like slightly out of tune band, you know, just going fucking like at 10, you know, and like there's it's just kind of dissonant and to see. Had that shuffle, like I was entranced. I was absolutely entranced, and and this weed helped lift me up to that energy of what was going on screen. I can concur. He was entranced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Was oh my god! On the floor. 
Yeah, he was like, oh my God. <laughs> um, well, I smoked, um, again, I had a, a one grande guava joint. And then I was feeling at that time, I was like, I feel like this just isn't right. So I kept puffing on my uh, Pineapple Express. I believe this is a hybrid stizzy. <laughs> but nice. Pineapple Express... This was working for me because, oh man, what a, what a nuts, <laughs> what a nuts movie. <laughs> World's Greatest Sinner is available from Amazon Prime for 99 cents extra, or you can buy a digital copy for $2.99. We don't usually recommend movies that aren't available as part of a streaming service or for free with ads, but this one, I think it's worth it. Greg thinks it's worth it. I pay th- it's 99 cents. It's worth 99, 99 cents. So that's a wrap on our Elvis episode. Big thanks to Robert Lopez, AKA Elvez for stopping by next time. We'll have special guest Floyd Webb of the blackness network for the Afrofuturist weirdness of top of the heap, a film that he's helped rediscover and the Anglo futurist silliness of queen of outer space with Jaja Gabor. You won't want to miss it on old Movies for Young Stoners! Yes. Yeah. Okay, nice. so, so it begins with Baz Luhrmann's Elvis trailer, the first 15 seconds of it or so. Oh, God, really? Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's at the beginning, so if uh, YouTube hates me for using it, I can cut it off really easily. Because um, it's and- Baz Luhrmann, it's like, Let's get it started in here.